Joe with Pastor Caleb, 1 John chapter 3. Get your Bibles ready. Enjoy. First John 3. For a few moments this morning, we're going to be looking at a couple points, a couple passages of Scripture <clears throat> that we will find very applicable <clears throat> to our lives here in our corner of the world. Our little slice of the kingdom it was put to me once. And we aspire to be faithful in our work here at Crossroads. I trust you do as well as someone who attends. We want to be a church that loves God and one another because of the scriptures. And we care about the scriptures here. And I trust that we will grow in the depths of our understanding of the scriptures here this morning. And that is our prayer. Let's read 1 John 3, verse 11, and this passage that follows. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has us. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you that these truths in this passage are very applicable to today. And we pray to the end of you being glorified, you being praised, we mean it 
when we say glorify thy name in all the earth. And may I add, glorify thy name in us. Because we indeed adore you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I have three points for you this morning. In this passage of scripture, we have to move quickly because we're hungry and the food is downstairs, okay? So we'll move quickly. The first point we have here is our verses 11 and 15. Through here we see a dichotomy of love and hate. And we've been working our way through the book of 1 John, and now we come to this passage here. And John's taught a lot up until today. He's given a lot in his letter. And one of the things he's doing now, you'll see, now that we're three chapters in, is he starts to repeat himself a bit. And he does so when he says, verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. For example, he said the exact same thing in the previous chapter, verse 7, when he says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And in the context of that, he's speaking of love. You know, he says things like, I've, I've said this before, this is nothing new, and he says it again, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Reiterating himself again, that we should love one another. Love has been woven into absolutely every part of Scripture. God's character is love. And his people have always been commanded to love. And John knows this, which is why he said, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And in this short paragraph, he gives to us a dichotomy of love and hate. The word dichotomy means defined by Google definitions, which is where all we millennials go to. A division between two things that are represented as opposed or entirely different. And for the baby boomers, I did check out Merriam-Webster, okay? And he said, a division into in two contradictory groups or entities. And we see that here in this passage, a, a dichotomy, a, a distinction, a chasm, or a partition between two things. And we see it here with love and hate. Brooke Foss Westcott says this about this passage. The whole aim of the gospel is the creation and strengthening of love. The words love one another do not simply give the content of the message, but its aim and its purpose. And to define the word love used here is agapeo, which means to have regard with affection or concern. To regard with affection or concern. And John, again here, weaves into his letter the teaching of love amongst the saints that he's writing to. His desire was that they would love each other. And he makes his case using a distinction between love 
and hate in behavior. A distinction, a partition, a division, a dichotomy of love and hate. And he uses a narrative found in Genesis 4. And he says we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. Because this is not love. In case you're wondering, Cain's actions were not loving. And when he, when he says those words in verse 12, we should not be like Cain, what begins to happen is a distinction, a partition, a dichotomy. And we have to be mindful of what he's doing here because he's building this. The distinction, it, it begins, it's carried over from the previous passage. Look at verse 9. It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So the partition was happening, the dichotomy was happening prior to these verses. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. The previous passage begins this dichotomy and the Apostle John begins to mark out boundaries, if you will, of love and of hate. He begins to show the partition between these two. And the Apostle John was doing what Christ did in his life here on earth. Matthew 5 teaches us this. This was not the Apostle John acting in defiance to orthodoxy, but this is him doing exactly what Christ did in his ministry. Matthew 5 verse 21 says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The opposite of love. Anger. Being upset. This distinction, this dichotomy between love and hate began in Christ's teaching. It began with his own words telling us the difference between these two things. Same chapter, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Earlier in this chapter, we see Christ saying, do not be angry with your brother. And then closing off this chapter, he says, love those. There's a distinction between the two. There's a difference between love and hate. And it is from the mouth of God. Matthew 22. 
again shows us this dichotomy, this partition. Verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard, Matthew 22, 34, that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Christ taught the importance of loving. And the reason why he taught it is because we are naturally, in our own sinful nature, not inclined to do that. This dichotomy, this partition, division between us and God has been since sin entered the world. And it is important for us to understand that there is a difference between love and hate from the mouth of our Lord and Savior and from elsewhere in these pages of Scripture. And you might ask, what creates, what creates this dichotomy, this partition, this distinction? What is the distinction? And in short, it's truth. It's, it's scripture. It's God's word. Proverbs sixteen seventeen says, The path of the virtuous leads away from evil. You cannot arrive in Christian orthodoxy by not studying the scriptures. To believe in the word of God and to practice it is to begin building these blocks that form this dichotomy between loving your brother or sister and hating them. Whether we love or hate is dependent on what we do with the truth of God. Make no mistake, friends. Scripture creates the distinction. John chapter 8 points to this. John 8 Verse 31, John chapter 8, verse 31 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my, what, word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the, what, truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you have become free? And Jesus answered them, listen to these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. They wanted to kill Christ because they did not like the truth of Christ. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. 
But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you what? The truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. He replies, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and am here. I came not of my own accord, but God sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. The reason why we will not succeed in loving our brother and sister in Christ is because we reject the truth. It's because the truth is simple. Love one another. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand where? In the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, but for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And this distinction that, that the apostle John is talking about here in the gospels, he later reiterates in what we've been looking at in 1 John. The difference between those who are born of God and born of the devil. The only difference is they've rejected the truth. They've rejected the scriptures. That is the distinction. That is the partition. That is the dichotomy between loving and hating. It's what you have done with the scriptures. Romans 13 verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law the scriptures, the counsel of God, the word of God. To love your brother, to love your sister, is to fulfill the entire word of God. Any denial of any magnitude towards any of the scriptures will never lead to fulfillment of the scriptures. You cannot make, okay, apple pie out of potatoes. Therefore, don't expect to love your brother or sister in Christ if you're not spending time in the one thing that's to allow you and enable you to do that, which is the word of God. More truth equals more love. Less truth equals less love. Do not be fooled. The Spirit of God, Paul Shirley writes, uses the Word of God to sanctify the people of God. Parallel that with what H.B. Charles Jr. says, the Holy Spirit binds us to God, but He also binds us to one another. Why? Because of love. Love is the fulfillment of 
the law. And we are to love. Not be like Cain. Cain is, as Stott says, the prototype of the world. He also says the choice between the children of God and the children of the devil, between hatred and love, life and death, murder and self-sacrifice, stems from the earliest moment of man's existence. This distinction is biblical truth. And this distinction also leads us to a place in our own lives where we have to drive some stakes. The Apostle John is, is marking off the boundaries of loving and hating. We have to do the same in our own lives because we're presented with the truth. What do we do with that truth? Not to accept it is to be like Cain and hate. And we know that hate is equal to murder in our hearts. And you might ask, for what? To what end? Why is it so important that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Go with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 very simply answers this, this question of, of why. Ephesians 4.11 and he gave, that Greek word there means to appoint. He, being the Lord, appointed, listen to this succession of events here. Apostles, they began. Then in Acts, in this transition period, you have some prophets. And then you see evangelists. And then you see guys like me, shepherds and teachers. Okay? He appointed them. Okay? So you ever wondered, why in the world... Do we need pastors? Everyone ever wondered that before? Some of you want to raise your hand, but you, you're not, right? I've wondered the same thing. Why? Well, he gave them. He appointed first apostles, then prophets, then evangelists, now shepherds and teachers. To what? Verse 12. To equip whom? The saints for the work of the ministry. Not necessarily just the pastor, but the saints for the work of the ministry. He continues, for building up the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature man manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of God. So if you're wondering why why love, I understand there's a there's a dichotomy between loving and hating. I get it, but why do I need to one or the other? Because as a saint of God, when we love our brother and sister in Christ, we begin to head towards unity of the faith, unity of the knowledge, and to be mature in Christ. So that we may no longer, verse 14, be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. May it not be so here. 
but may it rather be, verse 15, speaking the truth in what? In love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. So, your mandate, your command to love your brother and sister in Christ is to lead to the ultimate unity of your church. It leads to the ultimate culmination of being more like Christ within the saints of God. How many of you think that carries a little bit more weight than just saying, I don't really feel like that, right? To deny that is to deny your church the opportunity to be built up in the unity of the faith, in the unity of the knowledge, in the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Wow. Not only the cause of us maybe straightening our backs a little bit and saying, I, I think I have some work to do and I'm there as well, but also the invitation that you have to partake in the glorious work of God that you can be a part of being unified in the church. You have that opportunity. And may we treat that carefully. John 13, 35 says, they will know you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. You know who they is? It's not the church. This is a little bit of a responsibility for us, is it not? A little bit of a wake-up call, a challenge the Apostle John saying to this church, but applicable to us, love one another. Don't be like Cain because he was of the evil one. He murdered his brother because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. The difference in his life was he hated the truth. It's not that his deeds were evil. It's that he hated the truth. And we now have passed out of death into life, speaking of being born again. Look at verse 13. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Just quickly, I'd like to say this phrase. Love is under attack. Scriptural, biblical love is under attack. A dichotomy of love and hate. We see it there. Secondly, we see verse 16. Love requires action point two love requires action by this we know love that he laid down his life for us we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does god's love abide in him little children let us not love in word or talk but in deed and truth spurgeon says of this passage true love cannot be dormant it is like fire. 
It has an active nature. It must be at work. Love longs for expression. It cannot be dumb. Command it to be without expression, and you command it not to live. True love is not satisfied with expressing itself in words. And John tells us here that to love in word is not enough. Love must have action. And this was shown in the example that he gives in the life, death, sacrifice, work, however you want to describe it, of the person of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate act of love. Listen to these words that Christ speaks in John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know him, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, speaking of the Gentiles, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Christ is the absolute perfect example of seeing love. Now odds are, we will not have to die for someone. And John knows this. But somewhere, folks, Along this spectrum of, of dying for someone because of our love. And wherever we're at, we must find ourselves somewhere along this spectrum. It's not enough to say, to say that we love. We must, we must show it. And he gives a short illustration here of someone who, verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He gives an example of, of what love in action is. And this is elsewhere in scripture as well, James 2. James 2, verse 8 says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, that word means favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, 
go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the needs for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. A direct correlation, a, a parallel to the truth here that says if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does the love abide in him? Giving the example of love requires action. The expositor commentary says to withhold help from a brother in need to shut off compassionate action is to deny the presence of God's love in one's own heart. C.H. Dodd says, if such a minimal response to the law of charity called for by such an everyday situation is absent, then it is idle to pretend that we are within the family of God, the realm in which love is operative as the principle and token of eternal life. MacArthur says it's not enough for an individual merely to profess love for others. The proof that one has genuine love and is a child of God rests not in sentiments, but in deeds. Verse 18, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Listen to what G.P. Lewis says. It's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exacerbating, exacerbating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving no one in particular. And we see that when we say we are to love others. And it's easy to say that. But the importance we have to understand is that must lead to action. Listen to Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, no, the stream broke against the ho that house and could not shake it. 
because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. The of that house was great. To say that we believe, we have to act. We have to act. Listen to what Christ said, same chapter, a few verses over. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And listen to what he says in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Very easily illustrated. Every once in a while, I'm sitting in my chair in my living room. And these days are the days of March Madness. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. I forgive you. But March Madness basketball season, NCAA. And yesterday I was watching some games. And Aliyah will come up to me and she say, she'll say this. Every once in a while, this happens, this happens a lot. And I, don't get me wrong, I, I, I love it. They'll come up to me. This is how cute this is. And they'll say, Daddy, can I snuggle with you? I'm like, yes, you can, dear child, right? Sitting there, all cute, you got her leg crossed. Says, Daddy, is this basketball or football? So, oh, this is basketball. And you get to talk to the daughter. It's great, right? It's easy in those situations to love, right? How many of you think that there are some other situations that me and my daughter get into, right? Yeah. It's a little harder to love in those situations. The passage here says, if you love those who love you, what good is that? For even sinners love those who love them. Where it really comes into play is when it's not fun, when it's not easy, when we're tempted to side on the opposite side in that dichotomy of love with a brother and sister in Christ. We're still required to love. And it's not easy. Thirdly and lastly, back to our passage in 1 John. Love requires action. Thirdly, reflective holiness and antinomianism. Reflective holiness and antinomianism. In his book, Expository Exaltation, Paul Shirley states that there are three different categories of God's holiness, okay? There is intrinsic holiness, that which is the innate to God's character. There's consecrated holiness, that which God consecrates or sets aside, sets apart as holy. And lastly, there's reflective holiness, that which God desires to reflect himself in another. The word antinomianism is defined as against the law. And we see in our culture today, especially in the church age, a heresy of antinomianism, okay, which is against the law. 
Kevin DeYoung says this, among conservative Christians, there's something, there's sometimes the mistaken notion that if we are truly gospel-centered, we won't talk about rules or imperatives or moral exertion. We are so eager not to confuse indicatives, what God has done, and imperatives, what we should do. And we get leery of letting biblical commands lead uncomfortably to convictions of sin. We're scared of words like diligence and effort. Pastors don't know how to preach the good news in their sermons and still strongly exhort churchgoers to cleanse themselves from every defilement of body and spirit. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, let us cleanse ourselves. We know legalism, salvation by law-keeping, and antinomianism, salvation without the need for law-keeping. They're both wrong, but antinomianism feels like a much safer danger. We have to understand that this passage, verse 19 to 24, says things like this. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us, the spirit whom he has given us. Make no mistake, we are not justified by works of the law. But when we become a follower of Christ, we cannot be as the antinomianist and say, we don't need the law anymore. We just have to let go and let God, right? And this passage here tells us that we have to keep these commandments close to us. Because he writes in verse 4 of the same chapter, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices what? Lawlessness, antinomianism, without that law. You and I are responsible for our own spiritual effort. It's not God's fault that you are not growing spiritually. Loving others takes a strong effort and a desire to allow God's strength in you. Make no mistake, it is God's strength. But as Colossians 1 states, Paul says, for this I toil. That Greek word means to work and expend effort. If you let go and let God with the person you're trying to love, you're probably not going to love. But if you turn to the scriptures, that point to the unity between that brother or sister in Christ, you're going to be fulfilling the scriptures. You're going to be acting in direct harmony to what God wants us and how he wants us to live. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides, remains, stays in God and God in him. And in the struggle, know this, by this we know he abides in us by the spirit 
whom he has given us to be a seal. Thank you for the goodness that you give and show towards us. Thank you for the truth in scripture. Lord, be gracious to us. Be gracious to myself as I and whoever here is learning, growing, wanting to love others. Help us to understand the diligence that's needed in that. Bless us as we go. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful week.